It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down An American loser the day I was born Hello, welcome back to another episode of American Loser. I am your host, K.P. Burke. With me, as always, is my uh, handsome Dilf of a father, Lawrence. How are you, sir? <laughs> Mr. Dilf. Hey, all right. We're doing all right. Yeah, we're doing good. We're back at the Shared Universe Studios, our home for this show. Uh, Ming and Zapsic take great care of us. Uh, behind the ones and twos, our sound engineer, the handsome Mr. Big Kahuna. What's up, everybody? Oh, man. This is a cool one, guys. Uh, first of all, the feedback on the show is through the roof. Uh, we're ecstatic about that. We are launched on uh, iTunes and SoundCloud. Please support the show over there. Uh, follow it. Uh, leave us a review. Uh, tell a friend about it. Uh, just subscribe. Anything you can do to help us out with this. And we really want to keep the show going. It, like, it. share, comment, and subscribe. Thank you. That is the call to action, guys. We don't ask too, too much from you. We just ask you to help us grow this thing because uh, this idea is never going to go away. There are so many friggin' American <laughs> losers. losers. Are there not? <laughs> you want to be an American loser? <laughs> <laughs> well, oddly, what happened with this one is that uh, in searching, I, what I wanted to do is I wanted to find out who's considered the biggest loser of the founding fathers because those guys are like gods in this country. You know what I mean? You look around, bridges, uh, airports, almost ev- streets, schools, schools streets, everything. everything is named after these founding fathers, man. So I wanted to do is I wanted to find out about the biggest scumbag founding father. I thought for sure it was going to be a slam dunk because when you think of a villainous founding father, you would think of who we're going to talk about later today. But in doing the research to get a better story on the background of this guy, we came up with the American loser James Wilkinson, who has been considered one of the biggest scoundrels in American history. That was an earlier episode, too. Check that one out if you haven't already. You don't need to know that story to know today's episode, but it is just too interesting of a story. You said scoundrel. I just want to make that. Now you you, oh, that's you from actually describe someone as a scoundrel. Scoundrel. That is, uh, yeah, he was uh, uh, an inequity. Uh, I'm sorry, a mammoth of inequity. This is what a they special called Wilkinson. episode. Slow down, dirty scoundrel. So that was Wilkinson, all right? And then in researching him, you're like, well, I thought maybe Benedict Arnold, who falls into Wilkinson's story, that's a great episode for a loser, too, because this guy is synonymous with being a traitor. If you get called a Benedict Arnold, that's an insult, man. You know, that's like being a Judas for America. And then all of those characters emerged while I was researching one of the most fascinating things here. We're going to talk today about one of the founding fathers. Everybody knows his name. Nobody knows exactly what he was all about. Uh, Dad, we're going to talk today about Mr. Aaron Burr. Aaron Burr. All right. He's not the guy that on the $20 bill. No. Uh, <laughs> now, what do you know off the top of your head about Aaron Burr? Well, I think the the first thing that comes to mind is that he did fight a duel with uh, Alexander Hamilton. Yeah. That again, is the marquee headliner our, move, yeah. Our, 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 on our own Jersey zone, uh, Weehawken, New Jersey. Another Jersey connection for you, Cahoons. But, uh, Kuna, what do you know about Aaron Burr off the top of your head? Uh... Nothing. I'll put it to you this way. There's, a, there's a famous musical. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'll put it to you this way. There's a famous musical out there right now called Hamilton. Oh, he has a track on it. Well, not him, but there's a track named after him. 
Well, Aaron Burr. Aaron Burr, sir, is actually the uh, if you had a um, if you had an enemy and a uh, your protagonist and antagonist of that play is Hamilton's rivalry with Aaron Burr. Okay. And these guys, because now the thing is, we think of the founding fathers, we just think it's like you see a good painting of them or something like that. Yeah. Uh, by the way, the guy who painted all that, his name is John Trumbull. Uh, there's a guy no named John Trumbull too. He's a friend. Listens to the show. Thank you for your support, John. Um, but he's not the guy who painted the painting. He is not the guy who painted the painting. If he was, he would have been on the show. Um, <laughs> but that being said, he'd also be very old. That's, <laughs> that being said, when you look at uh, the founding fathers in these paintings, they're almost portrayed. Uh, as like heavenly angels and it seems like a cordial rumor but these guys were there's a lot of them that just did not get along with each other and Aaron Burr is this fiery personality I can't wait to dive into him here Uh, I know you have info on him as well dad I want you to let me know when you want to jump in on this one we're just going to get right into the nitty gritty on this one All right, Aaron Burr the biggest loser of the founding fathers born in Newark New Jersey just like my homegirl Whitney Houston all right on February 6th, 1756. All right, so he is a Jersey boy. All right? This is our, He's a Jersey boy. This is our Springsteen of the Revolution. Okay? <laughs> yeah. He is the son of a Presbyterian minister and the second president. At the time, it was known as the College of New Jersey. Dad, do you want to guess yeah, what it's well, called now? <laughs> it's not the College of New Jersey, uh, but it's the Princeton. It later becomes Princeton University. So Princeton University was known as the College of New Jersey. Now, the current College of New Jersey is where you went, right, Dad? Hey, Trenton State. Yeah. A guy like me could still get into Trenton State. Trenton State, <laughs> baby. But uh, we'll go ahead. Um, we'll plow through that noise. Um, Sorry about that. No problem. There's people working on the studio over here. They're just building a giant American Loser specific studio. So that's 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 been building a We're statue expanding. of KP for about like two months now. <laughs> that's right. Um, but uh, anyway, as we're moving forward, this one here, we do apologize about the noise on that one, but shit happens. So this episode, too entertaining to not deal with. So uh, <laughs> here's what winds up happening. He, uh, Aaron Burr is now the son of this Presbyterian minister. His father dies. His mother dies. Him and his sister are now orphaned at age two. They get sent to live with the grandparents. What happens to the grandparents, Dad? Uh, the grandparents die. I mean, this this guy and his sister, uh, Sally, Aaron and his sister, Sally, um, are now, you know, orphans. Uh, their parents die. Their grandparents die. And then they get shipped off to uh, a Mr. William Shippen in Philadelphia. So and he there goes we go to like live. <laughs> here's, here's your connection, all right? Benedict Arnold's wife, who was a loyalist that convinced Benedict Arnold to betray the American Revolution, was Peggy Shippen, the granddaughter of the Shippen that takes in Aaron Burr. Now, why did Shippen take this these kids in? Oh, uh, they were just, you know... They, he they was were just, just like, why right, not? Right. Or like yeah, They were a wealthy family who could afford to do something like that, so they were probably a, a Christian charitable thing to do. And obviously, if you're... If these are the kids of the second president of Princeton University, this is kind of a high-profile family. Right, right. These, you know, it, kind of a connections thing, too. They probably were in some of the similar uh, social circles. Okay. But, so j- there's your connection now. So the Shippen family, once again, popping up in this American Loser story. I don't know anybody with the last name Shippen now that I'm thinking about. It. You don't see it on a family coat of arms. There's no mug that says Shippens at, uh, you know, for Disney World and shit. I'm about to look it up on the hacked Facebook. <laughs> Let me know what happens on that one, dude. But uh, – What's, uh, what's crazy here now is that uh, Burr and his sister are then taken in by their maternal uncle, all right? So that's uh, on the mother's side, who's 21 at the time. Yeah. All right? They're, they're now three years old. I mean, they, their stay with the Shippens wasn't all that long. But now um, Aaron is three, and uh, the guardianship goes to his 21-year-old maternal uncle, Timothy. 
Could you imagine being 21 and being in charge of a bunch? Some, first of all, some very young kids that aren't your kids right. per two se. Little, two little rugrats. I just looked it up. There's literally only six people that I could find with the last name Shippens, and that's like the wide, broad search. It's kind of like how you don't see any Hitlers anymore. <laughs> well, I'm not going to look that up on Facebook because I know for a fact that there are some profiles with that with that stupid name just to be an asshole. It's uh, <laughs> it is weird how that disappears over time, though. But uh, what I think is uh, is crazy here too is to envision having to raise these kids like their maternal uncle. I, I mean, it's like a Charles in charge kind of a thing going on with these kids. <laughs> but uh, so now Burr attends Princeton. Okay, the college that his father was the second president of. Uh, no, actually, his grandfather was Jonathan Edwards. Uh, um, he's a, a very prominent theologian, which kind of tied into the whole Princeton connection. But uh, young Aaron, at the age of thirteen, he's attending uh, Princeton University, and he's he's a sophomore. At thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's uh, he's not a dumb kid. Um, by any stretch of the imagination. I think a lot of that has to do with his... Uh, but he his, is an uh, American loser, so yeah. something went wrong. Right. Um, but he's studying uh, theology at, at Princeton. All right, so but then, you he, almost was, he was almost about to become a minister, actually. Yeah, he was... He was <laughs> really? Yeah, but then started uh, with his uh, Princeton connection, starts to uh, think more about going into law and... Uh, well, he loved over the debate two. team. That's where he yeah. he found himself. Was uh, the the uh, debate team seemed to be where he clicked and kind of found himself. And that's when he makes the move over into studying law, right? Okay. So this American loser was also a master debater. They, uh, uh, master they really, debater. I think they all are. <laughs> Easy now. The more you see some of them, <laughs> Oof, uh, it's uh, he's a master debater. But a lot of the other losers have just been jerk offs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So, Wilkinson. Uh, Thanks for that opening. Hey, you paved the path. As soon as you said master debater, I knew oh, something's coming from this. It's uh, Well, it's like a friend of mine told me, I like listening to the show. It's very interesting, but it's always a countdown to dick jokes. <laughs> um, now, like every, I always think of this moment. I try to put myself into it. Like I knew I was going to join the military when uh, 9-11 happened. I, I was angry. I was in eighth grade. Uh, September 11th is my birthday, so I was I took it extra egregiously. Um, but I remember uh, on September 11, 2001, when we were watching everything was going down at uh, Ground Zero and everything, I knew I was like, I'm joining. I didn't know when or in what capacity, but I was going to regret my entire life if I didn't uh, join the military. So I went to the Navy on that one. What I like to think was a similar thing was when uh, people – we always seem to see this with this time frame. When people hear about what's going on at Lexington and Concord – People just drop everything they're doing, and they march away, and they go join the Continental Army. It happened with Wilkinson. It happened with uh, Benedict Arnold. A ton of the other founding fathers are all involved with this stuff. So he runs off. He stops studying law, ends it abruptly, joins the Continental Army. So now he shows up in the war. Guess who he was well-liked by? Enough so that he was made the aide-de-camp to another American loser, Mr. Benedict Arnold. Okay? He's now the second. He's, he's pretty much the head of staff. For Benedict Arnold, right? Yeah. So uh, he proves to be a good soldier during what we just covered in a previous episode. If you guys want to listen to that one, too, uh, we go into it in greater detail. But Arnold's expedition to invade Quebec. Yeah, there's a lot of guys that are involved with that. Um, it was actually two different pronged attack onto this invasion into, uh, into Canada. But uh, Ben Arnold was leading the charge on the one expedition to Quebec, and uh, Burr is with him. 
Now, also with him, as we covered, we're going to do our best to not repeat stuff on previous episodes here, but a lot of the characters are the same. And we can't get away from the fact that uh, Aaron Burr is marching in this, uh, he's marching uh, underneath Montgomery's uh, command, but they're working in conjunction with Benedict Arnold. And guess who's coming up with Arnold at this time? James Wilkinson. So these guys are all rubbing elbows and everything like that all over the time. It's kind of a crazy time. But as we have covered in the other episode, the invasion of Quebec is a complete disaster. Okay, does not go well. Uh, bad weather, bad intel, uh, bad circumstances. But Burr distinguishes himself bravely in the fighting during a blizzard as they attempt to invade Quebec on New Year's Eve at 1775, I believe. Uh, and they actually wind up getting hit. Uh, Montgomery dies in battle, and Burr distinguishes himself by fighting like a man possessed yeah. to try to get the body of the fallen General Montgomery back. They were getting hit with stuff known as grape shot. Is that correct, Ed? Yeah, grape shot, yeah. They, they're attacking the city. Actually, it was a two-pronged attack on the city. And, you know, the masterminds decided that uh, they were going to launch these two prongs by sending up a rocket as a signal so that both both sides of the town were going to be hit at the same time, thinking, oh, this is, this is brilliant, you know, that we can we can time it. Because, you know, you got to remember, we're back in 1775. There's no, like, walkie-talkies, like, go. You know, it's a, there's no communication. So they send up this rocket to signal the, 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 it's go time, uh, not realizing that, hey, the British now know that there's something up because they, they see the, the rocket going up at the same time. So, you know. So there's some flaws in yeah, the Right, There's right. some holes in the boat. It didn't really come as a big surprise to the British that something was going about to, uh, to happen. Um, Montgomery gets into the city and he's coming up attacking this, uh, this British-held position, this Reebdown. And they let loose with uh, grape shot. Now, grape shot is basically little tiny um, steel balls, maybe about the size of uh, an oversized musket ball, or maybe uh, like see, a golf ball. I thought ball. it was uh, Robitussin. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I hear grape shot. I'm like, oh, I got <laughs> yeah. No, a little different. Um, but they're loading this thing up with grape shot, and there's all different kinds of way of firing this cannon with solid shot, grape shot. Um, but basically what it is, it's a, it's a cannon-sized shotgun. So you got hundreds of these metal golf balls coming at you and just basically wiping out entire cannon-sized shotgun. Yeah, that's, that's basically it. <laughs> You're getting this dispersal pattern, too, that's wider. And, and these are back in the days when oh the armies God. would stand and face each other, too. So. Right. A cannonball can get a couple of people. I mean, we've all seen that gruesome scene from the Patriot when the guy loses his leg. But now imagine everybody getting hit. Right. If you had a, a tennis ball cannon, imagine the dispersal of that, how many people you could catch with nut shots on that one. <laughs> so now you're doing it with a grape shot. These are like, so it, this is devastating shit. Right. It's a, ba it's a bag full of uh, metal uh, golf balls and, and just whatever, whatever, you know, eventually they could just load it up with it, whatever, nails, glass. Here's the weird thing, though, like, I, this is going to sound bizarre, but have you ever seen uh, Jackass 2? The when they hit with the riot? Yeah, gun? when they get yeah. hit with the riot pellets. That sounds like, thing. that sounds exactly like that, just with much more deadly results. Lethal. A cousin of that being the rubber bullets. Yeah. Right. So now these guys are getting decimated with the uh, the shot. So this is the thick of the fighting then. Is that fair to say? Burr yeah, is seeing and, some and shit. Basically, Montgomery's uh, attacking for, and Montgomery is like, uh, he's right at the head of this thing, you know, sword above the head. Come on, boys, follow me. And running up the, running up the street to attack. And then they're being blasted with, with grape shot and musket fire and everything else. And basically his force gets 
virtually wiped out except for um, Burr. Burr is in, in there with them and survives that and uh, now makes all kinds of desperate moves to try to recover uh, Montgomery's body and get him, you know, back to their own lines kind of thing. Montgomery's killed. And he's, he's, he's done. The guy who took Ember. Oh. Yeah. No, uh, uh, Montgomery being the guy who was leading the charge Okay, my bad. Right. So, no, no problem. There's a lot of names on this one. That's why it takes a second to unpack. So I appreciate the, the questions on that one, man. Uh, now, because of his bravery in, uh, you know, under fire, if you will, to try to get Montgomery's body back, Arnold makes Burr a captain, and he's his aide de camp, as we were talking about. But in 1776, Burr now gets a spot on General George Washington's staff via a hookup uh, with his brother-in-law, okay, so his sister's husband. Um, he quits within 10 days. You finally you, you see hell on a battlefield. You get this major promotion. You get put on the general's staff that you are literally the, – the, you're almost a right-hand man to a degree – and this guy doesn't last 10 days before he has to get back out on the battlefield. I yeah, mean, he's, that not, is, he's not the, uh, the home office kind of a guy. He wants to be out there in the thick of things. I just you, I hear Kid Rock's American badass playing right now. It's, just, <laughs> it's Aaron Burr showing up on a Harley Davidson, <laughs> flipping a Marlboro and letting you know it's time. But uh, in contrast to him, the same way that Wilkinson was a, a better organizer. You know, we were talking about Gates being an organizer and Wilkinson being a, uh, a – an office room general. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, Burr wants to get out there and get his hands dirty. Gates is another American general that we spoke of in, in previous episodes, but Gates is uh, uh, an American general that... Uh, and now um, Burr also gets involved um, with uh, Israel Putman. Uh, yes, he's very pro-Israel. We've covered that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, back on the battlefield, he has taken on the wing. You're right. The general Israel Putnam takes him underneath his wing. Uh, and this kind of a crazy – I want you to unpack this for a second, because people don't know this part. I think when they hear the American Revolution, people know Lexington and Concord. They know Bunker Hill, and then typically they know Yorktown. And there's some crazy shit going on in the middle over there. People don't realize there was a Battle of Brooklyn right. and that New York was lost and that Washington was not really – I mean Washington's almost an American loser. He's very he, – he teeters. He's damn close. So when they had to move all their – first of all, why were they getting out of New York? Well, the British were in, in, in uh, Boston, okay? Um, and the whole Bunker Hill, Breed's Hill, um, they force um, the British out of Boston. But Britain commands the seas. I mean they have a navy. The Americans don't have any kind of a navy really to it's speak the world's of. greatest naval power at the right. time too. Uh, and also one of the greatest armies. But uh, so they pull out of Boston and then pull into New York. Well, they land like in Staten Island and stuff. And now they're attacking New York City. Uh, what, what was New York City? All, uh, I don't know, 25,000. It's, 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 it's big for colonial times, but it's, it's really tiny compared to modern day times. But the British are coming through Brooklyn. They're burning down all the vegan bakeries. <laughs> The, Kicking the hipsters out. Yeah, the uh, the, uh, the bicycle right. shops getting right. burned left and right here. No I more mean, scooter are, outposts. Yeah, there are so many scooters with their owners just crippled next to them. Oh Torch and the old brownstones. Think of all the bicycles. <laughs> Think of the bicycles. <laughs> but they get out um, – in order to get – they, they wind up talking about a little bit that Washington uh, catches a lot of shit for giving up New York the way he did. But in their uh, kind of escape, if you will, they are retreating. 
but Burr earns more distinction now because he's doing a structured uh, retreat, like you were saying, right? Yeah, Washington's force. I mean, we got our asses kicked in uh, in New York. Um, so now the British are landing in actually in Manhattan. Burr is at the southern end, uh, and he's fighting uh, a retreat, if you will. He's uh, not just running away. Meanwhile, the rest of Washington's army is is hightailing it as far north as they possibly can. They had defenses created in what they call Harlem Heights, so the northern end of, of the island of Manhattan. But Burr is allowing that the rest of Washington's army to escape by by fighting a slow retreat. Well, uh, in doing so, too, he winds up saving uh, at least two br- uh, two brigades of men, too. And uh, it's widely considered that without Burr and his excellence in the field, again, that uh, losses could have been much more significant. And what was supposed to happen is that Washington, everybody knew this, too. It was almost the same thing as we covered in an earlier episode about Benedict Arnold not getting the credit he deserved at Saratoga, is that Burr is now pissed off because Washington didn't even mention in their kind of the, the actions of the day. He'd never fully acknowledged that Burr is the reason why so many of the troops were able to get out in a successful retreat right. from New York. It saves the army. Literally saves, saves the army. Saves the revolution. Yes. And, it, and it's that live to fight another day right. thing, which winds up becoming so important. But he, since he didn't get mentioned in the, the kind of plan of the day, if you will, he couldn't even be put up for a promotion. So now Burr's a little bit pissed off and becomes an enemy of Washington to a degree. Yeah, the fastest way to work promotion at the time is to be mentioned in the uh – the point of the day or the orders of the day kind of a thing, which is kind of a recounting of what happened yesterday. Yeah, it's a, it's a, what, it's a blog. What's today? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. The Daily Blog doesn't even mention him, and, and Burr is, like, infuriated with that because, again, it's the fastest way to a, to a promotion. He it does not like Washington for that, but he defends Washington's move to give up New York. Uh, and he never betrays him. He thinks it was the right strategic move at the time. Uh, Burr is eventually made a lieutenant colonel in 1777, and uh, he actually kind of earns his medal, if you will, by fighting off several British raids on New Jersey and actually puts down a mutiny during the brutal winter at Valley Forge. So he might not like Washington, but he is a team player. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he's this is Burr's a good dude still, you know. Uh, now, you get through that brutal winter over at Valley Forge, you get to June 28th, 1778. Uh, this is the Battle of Monmouth. Burr suffers a severe heat stroke. Uh, shout out, Monmouth, New Jersey. <laughs> Who doesn't want to be down the shore in the, the summer, cross- right? New Jersey was the crossroads of the revolution. I mean, there was a lot of shit that happened in, in New Jersey. And the Battle of Monmouth, now they're coming off of, off of Valley Forge and now facing the British. And now finally Washington has got something that resembles a real army and not a bunch of ragtag you know, farmers with muskets and let's go shoot them up. It's like the first couple of years of an expansion team joining the NFL, you know, that they're going to be dog shit. And then slowly, all of a sudden, they start getting enough high draft picks and start putting it together. (laughs) All of a sudden, you're the L.A. Rams. I I do. uh, I do think that we're right on that one here. But during this Battle of Monmouth, which was a continental victory, Burr's men are just battered by more of that artillery. So you're talking grape shot earlier. This is regular cannon shot, too. Right, solid shot. And Burr takes uh, – he suffers a severe heat stroke because he, he doesn't want to leave the field of it's battle. It's a hot day. It's, it's, you know, and you got a nice wool uniform on on a, on a really hot day in, in Monmouth. That's the whole Molly Pitcher thing, too. That, we should mention that real quickly. We mentioned uh, – because you know, when you're talking about uh, – driving by a rest stop i mean there is the molly pitcher rest stop area because she was when her f- husband went down uh on the field he was injured 
uh, she took over and kept firing his cannon. Right. And I think that is one of the most badass stories I've ever <laughs> – Wait, what? Yeah, Molly Pitcher was in a uh, – her husband was a, uh artilleryman for the Continentals on, on his blistering hot day. She um, took it upon herself to just constantly trying to bring water from this little um, spring – uh, to the men that were, you know, they're dropping from more guys, I think, fell by heat stroke than uh, by enemy fire. And her husband goes down from firing his cannon all day. And then uh, when he's out of the game, she takes over. And uh, that was, you know, Molly's uh, her big. What a badass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she is. A, yeah. Uh, I, she's such a badass, she would never qualify for an episode of this show. <laughs> oh, man. I always like to think, too, with the Molly Pitcher story, I always like to think that. Uh, you know, at some point, um, they had kids, and then one of the kids came home with a bad report card, and they showed it to the father, and the father goes, oh, wait till your mother sees this. <laughs> <laughs> Who would play her in a movie? Uh, Molly Pitcher? It's, uh, uh, unfortunately, right now, with the way that uh, Molly Pitcher would have to be portrayed as like, uh, it would probably be, uh, uh, who was the one who played... Um, Eh, it doesn't matter. Let's edit this part out. Yeah. I fucked up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Can you cut that 10 seconds out for me later? Um now, in because of the stroke with the poor health, uh, he resigns from the army in 1779. Okay, now he returns to study law because remember he gave up his law practice, uh, but he is still working several like kind of small time intel jobs, like intelligence gathering or strategy meetings. And everything. So he's still very much involved in the revolution. Uh, but you want to talk about getting your life together, man? After the military, this is the dream. He finishes law school. And gets married in 1782. Yeah, he's admitted to the New York bar in 1782, and he also marries. Theodosia Prevost. Theodosia Prevost. That is a name right there. Yeah. Theodosia. Yeah, she Theodosia. was a, a widow who had, uh, I believe, five children? Yeah, five kids, yeah. yeah. She's 10 years older than he is. She's already got five kids. She's a widow, all right? But uh, the backstory again, another Jersey shout-out here. After the Battle of Monmouth... Um, Washington is now coming back up through New Jersey to get back up towards, you know, the West Point area because, again, that's still a strategic spot to hold. While they're coming through New Jersey, heading back up to uh, New York, um, they stop off at um, this house in our own Hohokus, New Jersey. Um, and um, there's a, a she's not a widow at this point. She's married. She's married to a British Army officer who is serving presently at the uh, in the West Indies. So he's not involved with the American Revolution directly, but he is an, a Swiss-born British uh, Army officer serving in the West Indies. That is a sentence right there, Don. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so now here she is. She's you know, married, five kids taking care of business back home while the husband is off in the West Indies. She doesn't know where he's what or what his conditions are. Meanwhile, the Continental Army, George Washington and his his gang, are now marching past. She invites everybody over, um, although she's, you know, got certainly British sympathies, um, being her husband's a British Army officer. She invites him in and enjoys the hospitality of the Hermitage in Hohokus, New Jersey. It still stands today. Um, and Aaron Burr starts uh, sparking her up that uh, they, you know, they start uh, enjoying one another's company, if you will. Um, well, they, uh, they had a, uh, a daughter 
that uh, Burr decided to name Theodosia as well after his wife. So it's the mother takes on the daughter's yeah, name. Right. By, by 1782, she is now widowed because her husband was killed, um, which would make her a widow. <laughs> um, and they're actually married at the, at the hermitage in Hohokus. They're It'd be messed up if she said, well, I'm planning on becoming a widow. So. <laughs> right, right, right. Give me a couple of days and we'll work that out. <laughs> no, but they're, they're married at the hermitage and then they have a bunch of kids themselves. But uh, unfortunately, most of the kids that he has with his second wife now is, um, uh, you know, they don't live past ch- childhood except the one daughter. Now, Theodosia is uh, Aaron Burr's world. Uh, he... Actually, he's a very progressive kind of a guy for the time. He had her highly educated, had her trained in music, uh, philosophy, riding a horse. She actually learned to shoot on horseback, too, which uh, was not common for the time. Um, she actually had a good reputation about herself, too. Everybody talked about that she was smart as a whip, and she was a, a very you – could, you could tell if you were ever going to try to groom somebody to be the first female president, if they had a reputation like this Theodosia Burr did – That'd be a pretty good background to start on, man. And a Theodosia—that's the daughter Theodosia. Yes, his wife is Theodosia. And yeah, the that's where it gets confusing. Right. To, uh, so it always gets a little bit confusing. But um, like we said, uh, very fun. Now this is his daughter Theodosia is the apple of Aaron Burr's eye, and she dies in 1812, lost at sea aboard a, a schooner called the the Patriot, and uh, it is completely up in the air still if they just got lost to sea or if there was pirates. They have no clue. But it absolutely just, I mean, you couldn't come up with a a greater waste of life in terms of how she, like, pretty much she met her end. She had uh, an incredibly bright future. But because Burr comes from this thing that's rooted in tragedy, like, you know what I mean? He's got tragedy all over the place. He's got his parents dying, his grandparents dying, his kids are dying. Uh, I mean, he is just kind of a... He wants a family around him at all times. You start seeing this thing where he's a surrogate to a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. He takes on uh, Theodosia's kids from uh, the other marriage. He has oh, a yeah, lot he, ado- of, he, he, he adopts all of them. He takes all the, the five kids that she had with her first husband. So, And he likes keeping people around. He grooms them. For, he's a mentor to a lot of people. So he's really trying to give back because he wants the people to have the support uh, and the stable adulthood that uh, or childhood rather that he never got. So that kind of becomes a thing. There's also rumors that he illegitimately was the father of two kids that he had with East Indian or West Indian women. So West Indian, So we're talking about Burr liked himself some Rihanna pussy is what we're saying. Okay? So when he was over there, you get a cut. If you get your hand – I remember when uh, I would say like uh, junior year of high school when Rihanna started first coming into prominence. We were seeing her dancing on M- MTV and everything like that. Pretty much every pale, blonde-haired, blue-eyed kid was like, I need to go to Barbados. All right, you had to get a piece of that uh, the whole Rihanna thing with that man, yeah. but he had uh, these illegitimate East Indian children. But again, as he was a very progressive guy, uh, he actually had the kids married into the free Negro community within Philadelphia, which is like it, it was. You know, this, these people are not slaves. We're going to allow. It's the same way where New Orleans was considered a refuge for uh, escaped slaves and everything like that. That they kind of had something similar going on in Philadelphia. So Burr made sure that those kids wound up in good marriages over in that area. Um, now, he did serve in the New York State Assembly from 1784 to 1785. While he's there, you want to talk? Now, Kahuna, we're talking about what a villain this guy is, right? Okay. What an asshole Aaron Burr is. This douchebag tries to give women the right to vote. Oh, what a scumbag. Okay. <laughs> really? I mean, what an absolute. Then he, he doubles down on being an asshole. He tries to abolish slavery right after the American Revolution. Wow. wow. 
But We're all men are created equal. <laughs> Come on. As a man of color, I'm offended. <laughs> so it's pretty ridiculous. So this guy who's got this bad rep has these insanely progressive ideas and, and really the true integrity-driven righteous ideas at the same time. Uh, and that's why he was actually allowed to serve as a United States senator for the state of New York. Um, now, that being said, he's got a pretty good reputation. He's a, a Revolutionary War hero. He's uh, on the New York bar. He's serving in all these other capacities. It's time to make the grab for the presidency. He's right? also a New York State Attorney General. Yeah, I forgot about that. Thank yep. you. Um, he is now running for president in 1796. And he is running against, you want to talk about uh, a cavalcade of heroes and stars. Um, in 1796, the other people he was running for president against would include John Adams and Thomas Jefferson. Okay. Now, this is back in a time. This it changed slightly after this. But uh, at the time, the person who received the most votes for president became the president. And the person who received the second most votes became the vice president. So that would mean in this current presidential election that we just had here, okay, that would mean that Donald Trump would be president and his vice president would be Hillary Rodham Clinton. Ooh. Now, you yeah. think those two wouldn't be able to get along? They started to realize there were some flaws in this plan. Yeah, they, they kind of realized dun, 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 the, the dun, founding fathers dun, didn't dun, really. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> A real odd couple situation. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the founding fathers didn't quite think that one all the way through when they made up those rules and regs. Well, they would change it later on. But what was the original way that the elections took place back then, Dad? Well, you had the electoral college that each one of the colonies or each one of the states, right, and – now, by 1796, I believe we've got uh, 16 states because New Hampshire came in, uh, Kentucky. Anyhow. Um, now, if I remember right, the Electoral College, um, they lost to Penn State in the uh, <laughs> college playoff finals last yeah, year. Go, go State. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you had the Electoral College, and um, they called the roll. In other words, they, they called the vote, and um, there's um, – each electoral college delegate, if you will, gets two votes. So they could um, put one vote in for Jefferson, one vote for, for Burr, one, two votes in for Jefferson, no votes for Burr. So it was really kind of a, a strange way of doing things. And when you got four, um, four really candidates, you had John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, and another guy, Thomas um, Pinckney, um, and uh, Aaron Burr. Um, so this is in the election of 1796. I mean, hands down, Washington won the first two elections. I, I think I think in both cases that was a, a unanimous vote. And then you know, they tried to make him a king for yeah, Christ's they, sake. They, they really tried to have him serve a third term, and then Washington said no. That you know his his time was up. It's got to be passed on to somebody else. Um, so I guess the the third term was uh, Adams. I'm getting a little confused here with that one. Uh, yeah, well, when Adams won the presidency in 1796, he won that election. Okay. Okay. Uh, now, because he took the first place votes, the second place votes actually get, uh, went to Jefferson. Jefferson served as vice president to right, John Adams. Right, right, right. So uh, now Burr is left holding his dick in his hands. Right. right? He's, He's got out. nothing. He's out. So, yeah, he, he came in, uh, I believe he actually came in fourth place. He was shocked. He thought that he had a shot at least at one of the top two. Yeah. So now he's a, a little bit pissed off about that, but decides he's going to run again in 1800. And there's kind of this weird, loose agreement with Jefferson because Jefferson needed the New York State electoral votes 
in order to solidify his presidency. Right. Yeah. And the idea was that if Burr couldn't be president, at least he could guarantee he would at least be the vice president. Right. You came in fourth, maybe second place is still good. And you got to remember, he's still a young guy. So there was um, there was some consideration that all right, let him let him serve as vice president under Jefferson, and he's a he's a shoe in for the next election in eighteen oh four. Absolutely, and a, a vice president too. We're we're still developing the powers of that office at this time. So there's a couple of cool things that uh, that always want to go on with that. That uh, actually Burr is credited with being the first to start kind of those traditions, which is cool too. But uh, in eighteen hundred. Uh, when they do have the election. This is the election that makes them change that platform, that you no longer, the second place vote getter is not going to be the VP anymore. Right. Uh, that's the 12th Amendment that they put in in order to make that happen. Yeah, well, the 12th Amendment didn't really happen until 1804, so it was the election of 1800 that really solidified, hey, we got we got to change the rules here because this is all screwed up. Um, in the election of uh, 1800, um, the, the uh, Electoral College ends in a, uh, a deadlock and a tie, all right? And uh, that meant that it then goes to the House of Representatives to figure out who the next president is going to be. And it just, you know, you talk about political maneuvering and who's, who's with me, who's with them, uh, and it's back and forth. And it's really the, the, the start of that whole two-party system that before that it was, hey, George Washington, he's our guy, you know, no doubt. And, but now... With different viewpoints, different political leanings, uh, Adams is on one side of the coin. Jefferson is on the other side of the coin. You know, which which way are we going to continue this country forward? So that two party system now comes into place, and you have two camps emerging, uh, both pretty equally strong. One of them is known as the Federalists, and right. the other is known as the Democratic Republicans. Yeah, it's. I mean, your your mind is going to start to uh, explode here because. Uh, of all the different things and the different leanings and from what we now think of as what's a, de- a, demo- a Democrat kind of a viewpoint versus a modern-day Republican kind of a viewpoint, that back in 1800 you had the Democratic-Republicans. <laughs> what the heck is that, right? Well, uh, there's a, another thing, too, that they always do that's interesting where uh, whatever your – if you look at it in a, in a party sense of Democrats and Republicans, what I always see people do that's hilarious is they say, well uh, – uh, they'll take whoever's successful from your past, and they would say, oh, if if Lincoln was a Republican then, but if Lincoln was running for office now, he'd be a Democrat. Right. And it's the same way that they would sit there and say, oh, well, JFK was technically a Democrat, but if you look at him, he'd be a conservative by modern standards. Right. So it's always this kind of shade of gray. Things change slowly over time. So but my the, the overall principle for me is buy into a set of ideas and that, that you think have integrity and stick with that. Don't let the labels decide what you are. Because it gets really, really goofy. Right, the definitions change through the years too. You know that what was was and what is now is different. So absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, now not for nothing. What are the Federalists believing that puts them so diametrically opposed to the Democratic Republicans? Well, you had George Washington, uh, and then you had John Adams, and the John Adams um, is really a Federalist. He's He's more in the camp of uh, we're going to have more of a central government and it's uh, the business community is solidly behind this whole federalist kind of a thing. So they're out to, to be making some money. Um, the Democratic-Republican side, which is more of a Jeffersonian kind of a thing and, and James Madison. So we still got some pretty heavy hitters uh, on opposite camps. But they're more of the, uh, the planters and farmers and that kind of stuff uh, that – 
the, you know, it's a it's opposing viewpoints as to how the <clears throat> excuse me how the country should be going forward. Well, uh, now a crazy thing with that too, and I understand I'm, I'm going to mask for you here while you're coughing. Um, but the uh, the thing that always kind of stood out to me with this is that the Federalists, if you want to, if you try to break it down in this way, Federalists are kind of uh, going for like a big government kind of a thing to a degree, right? Uh, one of the big things is that they want a national bank. Right? And this is actually the issue that Alexander Hamilton is most known for, is right. his desire as a Federalist, as a Federalist to have a national bank. A national bank, absolutely. So, now, the Democratic-Republicans, there's kind of a private property thing here. Now, the Founding Fathers were all crazy well-read on philosophy and shit like that, so it comes down to a Hobbes and Locke thing <laughs> a little bit, too. Right. So all the, you know, it's crazy how those old theories helped us design what is still, you know, to this day, the modern world. Right. But... Anyway, the thing that I noticed with that is, so the Federalists want that bank over there. The Democratic Republicans, they're kind of looking for a private money thing. Uh, now, at the same time, Burr starts weaponizing a political machine. Okay. What used to be known as a social club right. in New York called Tammany Hall, which is <laughs> absolutely infamous. Okay. Uh, I mean, it goes down in history. If you want to talk about political corruption, you uh, that's almost the they poster. They wrote the book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But it started as a social club. Political machine. That now Burr is able to weaponize into a very effective way to get his message out there and to solidify the Democratic-Republican kind of standpoint. Yeah, now, and, we're unpacking and, a lot of shit. And Burr is a New York guy. And Tammany Hall obviously got its, its you know, its, its start, its grassroots was uh, in New York City. So, I mean, it's not a, not a stretch of uh, how come uh, Burr would have such an influence over the Tammany Hall Social Club. And uh, Burr is an interesting guy here, too. So in, he's actively running for president of the United States, right? He has that little possible handshake deal with Jefferson. That they're, they're still haven't proven to this day. But it's the idea in 1779, as he is campaigning, all right? Trump had that famous line one time in uh, South Carolina where he said, I could literally walk out to the street and shoot someone and nobody would do anything. Like, it wouldn't hurt him. Like, that's how popular he felt he was in South Carolina. Uh, Burr actually went out and shot somebody. Okay, <laughs> He took that a little too far. Yeah, uh, he didn't actually shoot him, but he did fight a duel in September of 1779 uh, in conjunction around the time that he's making Tammany Hall into this political weapon. This guy, John Barker Church, insults Burr and accuses him of stealing some stuff. And uh, both men, does, they go out to do the, the, what's it, the field of honor? Yeah, the, the honorable thing is to defend my honor by... Right. Stepping off a few paces, turning fire. So he goes out. They have a pistol duel, right? It's all done uh, on the up and up and everything. Dueling is illegal in New York at this time, all right? And uh, it's also illegal in New Jersey, but it's a little bit uh, less of a severe penalty. But him and uh, John Barker Church go out there, and they, uh, he, they shoot their pistols. Neither man hits. All right, they both miss. And then Church apologizes to Burr, saying, I never should have accused you without more evidence. So when something works out in your favor... Right. You tend to want to... Gives you a track record. Oh, yeah. So now, dueling has worked out for Burr in the past, and it's going to come back to haunt him in a big, big way. But uh, this is where Burr, in 1779, at the same exact time he's running for president, he earns the complete hatred of Alexander Hamilton and a lot of the other Federalists because he cons them into funding and allowing him to create the Bank of Manhattan... Okay, so you're talking about Hamilton's idea of a national bank that's going right. to be run by the government. Burr now has his own private bank that's his own company. This is how it is. I mean, this is genius shit. It's almost like a heist movie. He words the contract and puts everything in motion, pretending that it's for a water company 
for New right. York City. That New York City is now in dire need of as well. I mean, yeah. He's, he's like, oh, guys, I solved our water problem. I'm going to create this. And then tiny little loopholes. He's like, oh, well, so we do a little banking. Right. The financial aspect is going to be, of this waterworks uh, is going to be financed by, uh, oh, wait a minute. That's my bank. <laughs> So he completely uh, – now it's another weapon for him. Burr now has a private bank that helps the Democratic Republicans. They're growing their power. Oh, if you're a Democratic Republican and you need a loan, oh, yeah, just I'll give you the loan here. You just make sure you vote Democratic Republican. So this two-party system that Washington warned us about right, right, is now like completely stewing over into hatred over here. Yeah, it's almost coming down to uh, the Civil War before we had a Civil War. Oh, um, over over the Federalists and the Democratic Republicans, it was it was that heated. Well, now in 1800, Burr is elected the vice president to Jefferson, and the only thing that was keeping Burr out of the the major hot seat, if you will, is that the Federalists absolutely hated Jefferson. Burr at least had friends that were Federalists, you know, so right. he was considered the lesser of the two evils. But Jefferson, because of that and because of a lot of other reasons, did not trust Burr. Completely shut him out of almost all the decision making. It's one of those uh, – it's the idea that the vice president has no power. You're, you're in position for power, but you have no power while you're in position for it. Yeah, I mean, in that whole election of 1800, again, the electoral college ended in a, in, a, uh, in a tie kind of a thing. So then it had to go to the House of Representatives and they're back and forth. Um, the, first, uh, the first time that they met and trying to decide that election as to who's going to become president, uh, the roll call was – held 19 times and it still ended in a freaking deadlock right three days later they're now up to 33 different house ballots called and it's still in a freaking deadlock um and finally um again it's uh through burr's political maneuvering and stuff they uh, realize that there's a um uh a guy from uh, maryland uh this james bayard uh, that nobody could really come away with a, a majority um, unless this one one uh, delegate from Delaware, Bayard, abstains. So finally they convinced this guy to kind of flip and abstain from the vote, which then gave uh, Jefferson the uh, – the, the the positive you know the the uh, majority of the votes and uh, he becomes president with Burr. But so you, you know, could vote for president or you could also not vote for president. <laughs> right, that's right. a deciding. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, and of course all of, all of this crap that went on in the, in the election of eighteen hundred, um, they realized that hey we got a problem here um, that we don't want to be going through this bullshit again. So in 1804, they, um, they actually ratified the 12th Amendment and changes, changes the rules. Well, uh, now, not for nothing. Uh, the vice president really doesn't have much power, but they are the president of the Senate. That is a tradition that still stands to this day. That's why Mike Pence has to preside over the Senate anytime Congress all gets together. But um, Burr was the president of the Senate, and he was actually admired because he did such a good job with it that even his enemies had to admit that he was a pretty good dude. So uh, he even oversaw – this is a high-profile thing that he was uh, a part of. He oversaw the trial of Samuel Chase, who is uh, – for those that don't know, that is the first Supreme Court justice to ever be impeached. Now, when I say impeached, I don't mean he left office. I mean he was put on trial. That's what has to happen. It's like Bill Clinton was impeached, but he didn't leave the presidency. You know what I mean? Yeah. So people get confused by that sometimes. So I just wanted to clear it up a little bit because I always got confused by it too. But um, Chase would eventually be acquitted. Okay, and was able to serve out uh, on the Supreme Court following uh, the trial and everything like that. 
but everybody agreed that Aaron Burr did it absolutely properly. One of the quotes from one of his enemies was, Burr here has shown the impartiality of an angel, but the rigor of a devil. So it was, let's get the job done right, but let's not burn anybody. All right. He gave a farewell address. This is a guy that people hated, right? The guy literally just conned you from a water company into his own private bank to try to put your party out of business. And some Federalists actually openly <laughs> weeped during his farewell address in 1804 to the Senate. It was moving men to tears as he just sat there professing his, his profound love for the American form of government. By the way, this speech is considered one of the greatest speeches of all time. Nobody wrote it down. Nobody wrote it down. Are you serious? Nobody yeah. wrote it down. It, there's there's not no a f- record of it. There's, no. there's snippets. People will be like, oh, here was a quote. Here was a high watermark. Or someone would be like, oh, yeah, and he talked a lot about this. But nobody ever recorded the full speech. There was no, like, stenographer or something at That's the time? A, like, imagine just going on Snapchat Live or something, right? That's a <laughs> <laughs> I know there, I know stenographer is a more technical term for it now. But, like, there was – was there, like – I wonder if there was, like, a position. Well, these were, like, feather pen kind of days. So I wonder. It's a, But uh, when he leaves office, right, uh, he gives this farewell address because – he knows Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson, has dropped him from the ticket. He is not going to be a part of the next uh, presidential election. So uh, they didn't get along, whatever. But uh, he goes ahead and he leaves uh, gracefully, but he's a little bit angry. So his concession prize is he's going to run for governor of New York. He loses to some no-name, nobody-ever-heard-of guy by massive margins, and he blames it on a smear campaign. He's absolutely – Burr is furious right now. His honor's being called into question. People are burning him, all this stuff. And he starts hearing that his old enemy, Alexander Hamilton, who wanted the Bank of America versus the private Bank of Burr, and uh, it's, it's reaching fever pitch right now, but it's all gossip. He can't get it. Someone's like, oh, uh, Hamilton says this about Burr. Can you get a load of that? <laughs> and then Burr's hearing this shit, and Burr's like, uh, writes directly to Hamilton. He goes, what the fuck? What, what, come on. What are you doing to me here, man? And uh, Hamilton goes, uh, he, he won't admit to anything like that. They go back and forth like 15 letters. And then Burr finally writes to me, he goes, I demand that you recant all the negative stories you've ever told me. And I demand that you pretty much give me a clean slate on all this stuff. And you tell everybody you were wrong about me. <laughs> okay. And Hamilton, who is actually trying to dodge his own disgrace right now, he got into an affair, a scandal with a married woman named Maria Reynolds. <gasps> oh okay. Yep. Uh, old, old Alexander Hamilton liked to throw oh the dick around. Apparently. God. That's right. But uh, he knew – this is how smart Hamilton was. Hamilton was aware that if he apologized to Burr, if he, if he sent him that letter, that Burr would publicly publish the letter. Sure. And that would weaken Hamilton's position already, and he's already in the middle of a disgrace. So the last thing you want to do when you're fighting a scandal is to show you don't have power anymore. Right. You know, Burr's going to take your balls with this apology. So he won't do it. doesn't respond. What does Burr do? It worked out for him once, right? I challenge you, you to, a, to duel. a duel. So – now, here's where it gets a little bit uh, – I mean, this is the story everybody knows. Burr challenges Hamilton to a duel. Duels, like I said, are illegal in New York. There's a less stiff penalty in New Jersey. Yeah, they're illegal in New Jersey as well, but your, your, your penalty of being caught in a duel are, are less severe in New Jersey than they are in New York. Right. So now, on July 11th, 1804, in Weehawken, New Jersey, they duel. All right? So Hamilton comes in from New York. Burr's a Jersey guy. Last words as he's about to pull the trigger. Benny's go home. <laughs> Little Jersey Shore reference for there you guys. You but uh, what's weird is that for dueling being illegal, you wouldn't think like heroin's illegal right now. So we're not going to pass a heroin spot on Route 23, right? You'd think. But apparently there's dueling grounds that even though it's an illegal activity, 
people have dueled here before. Right. If you're going to duke it out or duel it out with somebody, we we got this. We got the perfect spot for you, and it's on uh, overlooking the river in New York, which is a beautiful area to begin with. But now the weirdest part is that on this same place, Alexander Hamilton's son, one of his sons, was killed in a duel three years earlier at this exact same location that they've now chosen. Okay. So Hamilton's going to the scene of one of his kids' deaths to go duel his longtime rival, Aaron Burr. Jesus. So Now, by the way, Kahuna, I want you to think about this for a second. Okay. Uh, literally, uh, a second is what you would bring to a duel. Okay, That's your person. That's your best man kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. So your second is a guy that can handle your shit. Right? And we talked to my father here. My father said, I think you said you'd pick Uncle Terry. Yeah, right? Right. So Uncle Terry, bad motherfucker. He could handle that job pretty well. My second, if I had to pick a second for a duel I was going to, Stone Cold Steve <laughs> Austin. <laughs> All right? But now, uh, so the same spot, like I said, where Hamilton's son was killed, they're now going to duel this duel. And Hamilton provides the pistols. Now, get this shit, man. First of all, they're larger caliber than normal dueling pistols. But also, Hamilton secretly had the trigger doctored so that he would have a lighter pull on his pistol. That he'd be able to, so it's, it's essentially an unfair advantage, okay? It's, he's throwing a spitball. But uh, even though he did all that, so he's got these, uh, the larger caliber and he's uh, doctored the trigger and everything like that, so he's cheating, still loses the duel. All right? You lose the duel. And uh, now witnesses who watched the event, they all agree that there was a three to, second, uh, I'm sorry, three to four second interval in between the shots. There's absolutely no certainty as to who shot first. Okay? So that Star Wars debate we were talking about, Han versus Greedo, who shot first, they still mm-hmm. can't decide who actually shot first, Burr or Hamilton. But um, when Han he, shot first. God, continue. A, <laughs> I told you. I told you he had an opinion. <laughs> he'd, be, he'd be into that one. Uh, well, Hamilton missed, okay, or avoided hitting Burr because per a bunch of his letters that he had written to people, he even wrote a letter uh, like thoughts on my impending duel with Aaron Burr. Like that was like his live blog or something like that. So he's like his last tweet that he put out was, I was like, I'm probably not going to actually shoot him. But, <laughs> but I know enough narcissistic people that sometimes you give yourself the excuse if it doesn't go your way. So rather than have like the, oh, I, I got scared and I, I didn't know how to shoot, you know, because I'm right. just a banker. Um, rather than that, it was, uh, you know, he gave himself the out pretty much. Burr, not so much. Burr, yeah. Burr yeah. dropped that motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> so... Burr drops him hard, actually shoots him uh, right through the right abdomen. The bullet then pierces his liver and his spine. Okay? So he goes down hard. Hamilton is taken back to Manhattan where he dies the next day. And people were in awe about how unfeeling and lack of caring Burr had. Burr just did – it was like machine. It's like, you are my rival. You have insulted my honor. This is what happens. You got what you what it was uh, called for. So Wow. Now, uh, Burr won the duel but lost his career in a sense because Burr is, by the way, the seated vice president of the United States during this time. Right. Okay? This is if Mike Pence got into a duel with somebody. So Burr is charged with crimes, but uh, he flees to South Carolina where he had some family down there he was staying with. And the media, for the most part, was supporting Hamilton. Okay? But Burr was never charged and all counts are later dropped. Partly because, like I said, he's the seated vice president of the United States. But also they said that it was hard to prosecute the crime because he was shot in Jersey but died in New York. So, So, yeah, I mean, 
the uh, the whole trial comes on, and he's, we are the center of the universe. This, <laughs> we we just get the shit end of the sticks, and on in these stories, huh? <laughs> yeah, um, we get we get the bad rep, but you know, uh, the line is don't mess with Texas. Well, don't screw around with Jersey either. <laughs> yeah, Texas is allowed to say it out loud. We just have to remind everybody. Hey, you guys ever notice how all the crime shows go on over here? <laughs> That's right. And but, you know, people turn up missing. Uh, also true. Now, uh, so he won the duel, lost his career. He left Washington after his term ended as vice president, and he headed west. Okay, because yeah, Jefferson was not going to have anything. And this was to an illegal duel too, right? It was an illegal. The, yeah, there was no such thing as legal duels in New York or New Jersey at that time. So, so then, he broke the law. But then, Ale- but so did Alexander Hamilton. So the by. It's a, what are they going to do? Uh, punish him with death? Right. <laughs> no, but like <laughs> offsetting penalties. But agreeing to <laughs> agreeing to it in the first place. Like, so wait. At this time, duels are legal in other states, though. To turn them to ignore a challenge to a duel was an indictment on your manhood. Like you know, when you see two guys getting each other's face now, and the first one says, "Do something, bitch." Yeah. Well, if you don't do anything now, you're a bitch. So that's their way of throwing it's, the first punch without yeah. throwing the first punch. But we uh, have our own ways of duels, modern duels. Modern day. <laughs> sure there do. You go. Uh, like for comedy clubs, they write bad Yelp reviews. Um, oh, God. <laughs> but the, uh, so it's hard to prosecute that crime. He kind of gets away. He moves out west because he wants to see for himself the, uh, the fruits of the, uh, the purchase uh, known as the Louisiana Purchase. Right? So he's heading west, and uh, this is when Burr starts leasing land from Spain. Okay, that's his whole plan. He's got a private island that a guy's letting him run military operations on. Yep. And they're storing weapons and munitions. Also. So now this is how funny Burr is. Burr now has a heavily armed group of 80 men with him that he keeps saying, we're farmers. Yeah, we're farmers. Just doing we're little, farmers. We're just exploring here. and We're doing a little sightseeing. and uh, we just want, We're looking for Macintosh apples, and we need these rifles to protect us from other people that might take our Macintosh apples. Yeah. You had something? No, go ahead. Well, uh, now guess who loves the idea of having Aaron Burr out there with 80 armed men out in the West? Future President Andrew Jackson. Not president at this time, but future president. Yeah. He's still involved with the military. Well, it's a, it's a land grab. Everybody's looking for, you know, I mean, the, 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 the surest way to wealth is grabbing a hold of some land and then selling, selling it. Well, if you go to war with Spain and Andrew Jackson has to now be in charge of the, on the, you know, the boots on the ground movements – and you now know that the former vice president has 80 men ready and willing to go looking for a fight. Mm-hmm. That's a great ally to have. Yep. So uh, Burr has spoken on military matters, though. If you want to go back to the, the interconnecting stories of the, these three episodes in particular, uh, Burr is discussing some of his military matters and a couple of his big, big picture plans. Right. Uh, one of the main one being that he wants to overthrow Mexico. I'm sorry, overthrow Spain's control of Mexico so that Mexico could be independent. And Burr's idea is that he would install himself as the emperor of Mexico. There you go. Because he did not believe that the Mexican people could thrive in a democracy the way that the Anglos had because they were more (laughs) well-read. So um, kind of a funny thing with all that, too, is that uh, the other idea was that he was just going to start his own dynasty, his own country west of the United States. You won't let me be president of these United States. I'll I'll make make my my own United States. I'll make my own country. And I'm the king. uh, Exactly. And uh, now – he winds up talking to a certain guy that he kind of tags as maybe the guy he wants leading this invasion, the military force. He uses James Wilkinson 
from earlier episodes as the biggest scoundrel of all time, as we discussed earlier. Right. Uh, he winds up using him as the head of his military operations. Big mistake. Wilkinson rats him out directly to Jefferson, who already doesn't like Burr. Yeah, the, uh, Wilkinson and and, and, oh and Burr are already in cahoots and making plans for this land grab and setting up their own country and everything else. Wilkinson has got a very high position within within the army within within the American army at this point. Uh, he's he's out there. He is the Louisiana Territory Governor, right, and the head of the United States Army at New Orleans, right. So now he rats him out. This is, this is where it gets great because we talked a little bit about it in the Wilkinson episode. The primary evidence for Burr now, because by the way, this is how weird and kind of wonky some of this stuff gets. Uh, Burr's conspiracy is what it's called. Okay, That was uh, what he was arrested on. Jefferson orders his arrest immediately. And Burr turns himself into two separate judges who clear him of any wrongdoing and release him on his own recognizance. Yeah. <laughs> Because, first of all, who wants to prosecute the former vice president of the United States on traitorous crimes? Right. I mean, that's not really – and then also it's, it's not who good evidence. Over the, uh, who presided over the trial of the Supreme Court justice. Exactly. <laughs> so – and he's not a heel. This is not a bad guy in a lot of people's eyes yet. Uh, but what winds up happening is that uh, he turns himself in, like I said. He winds up being arrested February 19, 1807 down in the Mississippi Territory, what is now Alabama. Okay. Uh, and the plan is revealed that he wanted to overthrow Spain uh, and get Mexico for himself, and he was going to create that dynasty we talked about. But in order to be proved, of, uh, have treason proved against you, uh, you would have to have either the person admitted out loud in court or have two such witnesses say that they saw him you know, aspire or conspire to uh, treason. But uh, the only evidence is Wilkinson's testimony that he refuses to indict himself with. Right. So it's all Wilkinson's. I swear to God, I found this detail out. I wish I had known for the Wilkinson episode. The only evidence he had was a copy of a letter that he had where he literally wrote down all the parts that made Burr look bad and left out his own shit. Because right. Wilkinson, if Burr had a better plan, would have jumped ship. Wilkinson was the guy that made the copy. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, the, I mean, so, he was at Wilkinson, because we covered in that episode too, that was the beginning of the end for him because he was the about, laughing stock. Uh, you talk about the missing minutes from the uh, Watergate tapes. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, uh, this takes it a whole nother level. Uh, so the scumbag of scumbags uh, is, uh, he's not able to get Burr to go to jail. He does turn him in, but only to get himself out of trouble. Uh, Burr is uh, acquitted, right, because the, the, obviously the, the letter's not going to work here. Uh, so Burr's acquitted on September 15th, and this is insane. This is a huge test of power for the Constitution because Jefferson put all his weight behind getting Burr arrested for treason. Yeah. He wanted this. So the president of the United States is not able to force a judicial kind of uh, a sentencing, if you will. So that goddamn document we made – the Constitution, holy shit, is that cool? Right. right. <laughs> this is a huge uh, win too for the separation of powers, which is even more important. Um, but uh, I know we're going to wrap up here in a second. It also sets the president the precedent that the president is not above the law, nor the vice president, because you know Jefferson was the president. He had Burr as a vice president. Now he's now the president is accusing his former vice president of these uh, just because you're treasonous in a acts. Of power doesn't mean you right. you absolutely yeah. rule the kingdom. And it's important too. That's I think what makes uh, what makes this whole experiment work. Um, Might is not necessarily right. So ah. There we go. Ah. 
So poetic in these last few episodes. Well, (laughs) if you look at the monarchy, the monarchs are able to have, uh, you know, people killed just for uh, dissenting the throne. Uh, But over here, you can possibly be a traitor, but if we can't prove it, you get away free. And I believe Ben Franklin's the one who said that for the American justice system, they would prefer a system that allows 100 guilty men to go free rather than one innocent man to burn. Right. So we designed the system to not work as effectively as it could. Okay. now, Burr, like I said, if we always go back to this, you win the duel, but he lost his career. Now, he won his court case, but he lost his reputation. All right? Burr now flees to Europe. He puts himself in uh, exile. Now, if you're one of the founding fathers and a hero of the American Revolution, you're going to go hide in London? That's your move? <laughs> That's your move? That's like Derek Jeter trying to hide out from fans so he takes up residence across the street from Fenway Park. Um <laughs> Now, the English force him out after four years of his self-exile. They don't want him in the country anymore. And he tries to make a move to go over to France. And uh, in in his mind, he's going to be involved with Napoleon. And Napoleon just goes, not interested. So Burr's got nowhere to go now. He returns to New York City and picks up his law practice again. But because he's such a disgraced person, he now uses his mother's maiden name in order to practice as a lawyer. So he is now known as, uh, I believe it's Edwards. So he's now Aaron Edwards under his mother's maiden name. He is doing that to avoid the disgrace that comes with his reputation and also does he doesn't want to pay off all of his credit card debt. <laughs> <laughs> it is a true story on that one, man. Uh, now, in a sense of very odd twist of fate over here, uh, he marries at age 77. Oh, okay. okay. So uh, he's got declining health. He's not really paying the bills and everything like that. But at 77... He decides to marry a, uh, a woman who's 19 years younger than him named uh, Eliza Jumel or Jumel. I'm not sure how she pronounces it. But they get married on July 1st, 1833. Four months later, Jumel, his wife, realizes that Burr is ble- – like with his losses and the, all the money that he owes around town is bleeding her personal wealth dry. Right. She divorces him. She divorces Aaron Burr. Okay. The divorce papers are served to Aaron Burr and made official on the day of his death in 1836. Okay. His divorce was the death of him. It, it, his, <laughs> well, uh, if you want the twist of fate here, Kahuna, that you ain't ready for. Okay. Lay it on me. Jamel, okay, I will call her Jumel, uh, Miss Eliza, if you will, who divorces her husband, Aaron Burr, mm-hmm. chooses as the attorney to prosecute the uh, or to serve for the divorce, rather. Alexander Hamilton Jr. Yeah. So Are you, you kidding me? You get to serve <laughs> no way. the divorce papers you to the guy his... who shot your dad. <laughs> but then, oh my God, wow. And then he dies that day. Did she do it purposely like that? Like, did she like seek him out? Was you, like, you gotta hey, think. there's you not wanna... a lot of warm fuzzies you read about when you no. read about his late marriage on that one. Uh, I mean, and this is a post-Viagra time. I'm sorry, pre-Viagra time, rather. So there's really no there's no upside to getting married other than the money. But uh, Bird dies uh, in Staten Island, uh, and he's actually his body is moved to Princeton, uh, where he's buried next to his father down in the Princeton Cemetery. And uh, his reputation remains extremely complex. Uh, but Jefferson hated him. But you know who loved him? John Adams. All right. He didn't get along with Washington, but John Adams, who's one of the most important of the founding fathers, would defend Burr's reputation to the end, always saying that it was a – he called him a lion-hearted soldier 
and a man of integrity. And the problem was is that with the reason people didn't want him as a president was because they always felt that he was too ambitious, right? And he kind of proved that. When you decide to maybe try out your own country. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. You know, if you guys won't have me, I'll make my own. Yeah, it's a, presidents are cool. You know, it's so much cooler. Dictators. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that is submitted for your approval, guys. Uh, that is the story of Aaron Burr, American Loser. Anybody else have any notes? Uh, I think uh, I think pretty much wraps that up. Um, you know, if we're, if we're voting here. Uh, Aaron Burr, he's he's on the loser side. Yeah, he's a loser. I don't, I, I no complaints from me. When you get in on the ground floor of a business, that's when it tends to be the most profitable if the business booms. So if the business is the United States of America, arguably the most successful country in the history of civilization, and you're one of its founding fathers, and you die broke in Staten Island. <laughs> on the day your wife served your divorce. On your yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's that's rock bottom. There, that's that's the bottom of the pile right there, man. But again, a complex guy. Very interested uh, to hear all about this one. That being said, I want to thank uh, Shared Universe Studios, Ming and Zapsic for taking great care of us. I want to thank the Big Kahuna being behind the ones and twos for us. Always. I want to thank my father for getting me into history. You got I, it. I love doing this podcast with you, man. And I love you guys out there listening to this show. If you like the show, it's really important to us. Leave us a review on iTunes. Subscribe. Download. Uh, the reviews really help us out, too, because we can start getting a little bit uh, of a bigger push from the iTunes thing. We're available on iTunes and SoundCloud, and I just submitted for review on uh, the Laughable app. If anybody uses that one out there and you search KP Burke, uh, this podcast will show up. So if you've got any other ideas for us, email us at AmericanLoserPodcast at gmail.com. Let us know who we're missing out on here, guys. We're having a great time with this show. A little bit of support from you guys. We can keep it cranking out. Thank you very much. An American loser the day I was born. American loser the day I was born An American loser the day I was born